My name is Erin Harrington and I would like to welcome you to Heart of Darkness, which is a warm, fuzzy, squishy and sometimes sticky romance-themed episode of The Nerd Degree. So we're recording this in February 2017 and while the world burns around us, what more can we do than uh, narcissistically look ahead to Valentine's Day? So it doesn't matter if you are a jater or a skater a fan of Destiel or Wincest, a Brandonite or a Willow Beta, there's going to be some kind of grand gesture in this episode that will hopefully turn you on. So we have two pairs tonight playing with us, and I will get them to introduce themselves, um, starting on my left. And what I'd like to hear, um, as you introduce yourself, what your personal grand romantic gesture would be. Okay, um, hello, my name is Karen Healy. I write young adult science fiction and fantasy, which balances explosions and kissing in about equal measure. <laughs> and, you know, I thought about this and I was like, you know, Karen, you just can't go past interrupting someone else's wedding is a, a fabulous <laughs> gesture. And then I thought, no, Karen, Hugh Grant can manage that. You can do better. And you know how dust kind of glistens in the light through a sunbeam and it looks really pretty? Most of that is, is skin cells. So I thought what I would do is when I am, you know, with the love of my life, Chris Evans, I'm going to collect all of my skin cells and then on our anniversary, I'm going to throw them into the air so that they glitter around him in a beautiful aura. That's, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you, Karen. Um, and, and how about your teammate? Hi, my name is Mawada Smaira. I am a librarian and a writer. And um, my grand gesture is also skin-related, but a bit less icky. No offence. <laughs> but, yeah. You're going uh, to wear someone's skin, is yeah. that? No, well, the, I'll just set up the situation for you. I am engaged, and I have a three-year-old. Um, so big romantic gestures don't really happen in our house. Um, like, so seriously... Um, my grand gesture would probably be shaving my legs. <laughs> and no, and that would seriously count. <laughs> that's, that's great. So, um, Moata and Karen, what is your team name? Oh, we are Slash and Shipability. Ladies and gentlemen, Slash and Shipability. <laughs> and how about on my right? Hello, my name is Brendan Bantz. I am an improviser and a playwright. And um, my grand... Ro- you know... I had one of mine, but Karen pointed out that interrupting uh, a marriage-like ceremony is not really uh, a dramatic enough gesture these days. But I think interrupting the consummation of a marriage <laughs> would, be, would be sufficiently dramatic. So I'll probably go with that. That's great. And, and joining you tonight. Kia ora. My name is Rosie Can. Uh, I am an actor and a writer. Uh, my grand romantic gesture idea is stolen from my friend Angela, who did this in the real life. Uh, one morning, uh, there was snow on her lawn, and she salted the earth in her garden so that it said, stay home for her husband. Um, and he did not stay home, and he was pissed about her ruining his garden. <laughs> I, think, I think grand scale rock or salt and snow... 
uh, emblems of love are definitely the way I'd go. Yeah. I mean, any romantic gesture that, inclu- that includes salting so the earth. Salting the earth. <laughs> <laughs> um, really make, making love grow. Uh, and, and what is the name of your team tonight? Love Factually. Oh, very good. <laughs> Welcome to Love Factually. It's a team name. It's also just good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Especially on the nerd degree. <laughs> so the panellists have also prepared some love poetry, and you're going to hear from that a little bit later on. But before we start with our first game, we also have an announcer tonight. And tonight we are, we are just beautifully joined by Nerd Degree's resident love guru, uh, Jeff the New Romancer. Hello, Jeff. Hey there, all you lovely guys and girls. I hope you're having a great time out there, and I'm just going to read out the scores in my sensual tones so you can enjoy them and let them Wash over you. <laughs> so, so as you're hearing the, the scores uh, wash over you, um, Jeff, Jeff might even give us a little bit of love advice later on, depending on how we are going. So the first uh, round is called Nerd Quotient, but first I need each team to roll for initiative. Okay. Four. Fifteen. Okay. So <laughs> Slash and shipability will be going first. Question is, how might your heart beat better because of rat rays? Has this got something to do with growing, like, okay, so pigs now grow human organs, apparently? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a Dr. Rat Ray involved? Or, alternative answer, <laughs> <laughs> mutant sewer rats have uh, read everything that's ever been flushed down a New York toilet and have taught themselves autodidactically um, how to be doctors. And they've dedicated themselves to the improvement of humanity. It's, as much as I'd like to say yes to um, either or both of those, and you're actually kind of along the right track, funnily enough, but um, maybe the other team would, would like to have a go. How might your heart beat better because of rat rays? Uh, I'd assume there's some kind of nuclearly indulged radiant rat that can increase your heart rate through its sheer beauty. Mm. I'd, I'd, I'd certainly have my heart rate. Yeah, I mean, you could just make someone's heart beat faster by like dropping a rat down the back of their shirt. Mm. So it's not exactly a medical procedure, but it would be effective on the heart rate. And theoretically, the rat race does increase stress levels, which Ooh. also increases your heart rate. There we go. Well, you, well, you can have um, some middling points just for, for, being, <laughs> for, for, being, for being vaguely factual. The, the answer that I'm after is that there were reports last year in the journal Science that researchers in the United States had created a synthetic sting ray and it has a skeleton made of gold a body made out of silicon it's propelled by undulating heart muscle cells taken from a rat and it can be controlled by light why why might they have made it though what's the important thing about this just they obviously got too much funding (laughs) (laughs) what should we make the skeleton out of go they're like we're sick of humanity this is the next step yeah well well, it does um bring up some really interesting ethical questions about organisms but the reason they created it was because it's a step towards figuring out how to make an artificial heart so the model is helpful because both a heart and a stingray have to overcome problems with fluid and motion (laughs) it's like how these 
these things like each other. As most living creatures do. But there's this great quote from the lead researcher, who's a guy called Kevin Parker, about how he pitched the idea to a colleague. He says, I sat down with him and I said, Song Jin, we're going to take a rat apart, we're going to rebuild it as a stingray, and then we're going to use a light to guide it. And the look on his face was both sorrow and horror. (laughs) (laughs) And and to me, that's either a great copy for a Valentine's Day card or a a good um, explanation of the facts of life. Uh, so, So a few points over to Love Factually. Next question. Why might the vulnerability of certain charismatic megafauna be a good thing? This is for you, Love Factually. The vulnerability of... Certain charismatic megafauna. Um, well, vulnerability... So megafauna, this is giant animals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like a Tyrannosaurus rex? Well, well specifically charismatic. Charismatic, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess yeah. if they're yeah. too Char- charismatic. Like really, really yeah. charming... T- a really charming T-Rex. It's charming <laughs> because he can, like, show his vulnerable side. Like, you know he's not afraid to cry in front of you. <laughs> And he wears a top hat. He wears a top hat. It's like a George Clooney-saurus kind of. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh. Oh. With, with his little cup of Nespresso yeah. and his tiny little T-Rex. <laughs> 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 like yeah. yeah, salt and pepper. Yeah, the scales are greying around yeah. the side of us. Well, well yeah. we are talking about a particular big animal. Charismatic megafauna are often thought to be these large animals that kind of have a cute factor. So they're charismatic as opposed to like giant sluggy things. Can you can you think? Sorry, of as opposed to what? Giant sluggy things. That, oh, are they giant sluggy things? Would their vulnerability be an advantage in that maybe if they're so adorable, no one would want to hunt or eat them, and as such, they're more vulnerable to disease and such in order to keep the population down? That, that's hypothetical enough to, to get a point, but not quite right. Karen? Is this the pandas? It is the pandas. It's the giant freaking pandas. Tell me about the pandas. <laughs> they're oh, so Karen cute. Karen pandas pandas so cute. <laughs> Everyone wants to give them lots of money. However... As of last September, they are off the endangered list, thanks to some top-notch copulation. So they are now classified as vulnerable instead of um, uh, in danger of becoming extinct. Now, does anyone know why that this has happened? Why, why, they've, why they've become vulnerable, they've, they've been declassified down to vulnerable instead of um, endangered. Has the birth rate increased sufficiently that they're... Yeah, yeah, it has, but why might, why might that have happened? Any ideas? Is it... All the people dressing up as pandas to take care of the little baby yeah. pandas. Did they, did they finally work out artificial insemination? Well, well, they use that, and it doesn't really work. It has limited results. And instead, Chinese conservation efforts have found that actually recreating their habitat, recreating bamboo forests, both provides them with food, and this is the exact quote, gives them a bit of space. Um, The bad news, however, is that climate change is predicted to wipe out more than one-third of the pandas' bamboo habitat in the next 80 years. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. Just up and then you just like right back down again. Yeah, yeah. Ebb and flow, ebb and flow. It's it's like a hurt comfort cycle. This this whole episode. I'm gonna need some chocolate. (laughs) So what particular? uh, This this is for um, slash and shipability. What particular public pash might have most aroused Victorian voyeurs? Lesbian. I 
Lesbians didn't exist in Victorian times, though. No, they didn't. No, yeah. by fiat, they didn't. Uh, yeah. Gay men existed, but lesbians yeah. didn't because Queen Victoria refused to sign any laws against well, them. Well, lesbians mm. were seen as, as inverts yes. instead of it wasn't a sexual identity. It was just no. kind of a, a practice that people didn't really think happened except for the lesbians. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so anything else? How about, how about over to you, uh, Love Factually? What particular public pash might have most aroused Victorian voyeurs? So we're thinking about a kiss. Did... did Queen Victoria kiss Albert or something? And, and no, that would, that would have been all right, though. No, I'm actually talking about a, um, a friend of the show, I guess we can say, and that we're talking about Thomas Edison. And so Thomas oh, Edison in 1896... Film. He filmed a kiss. Yeah, so points for that. So he made a short film entitled The Kiss, um, and it was filmed in his famous Black Maria studio. It featured... Do you, do you know anything else about the film, actually? No, all I know is he also electrocuted an elephant. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of charismatic megafauna. Well, it featured a Canadian actress called May Irwin, an actor called John C. Rice, and they were kissing as they recreated a scene from a Broadway musical. But of course, this is at a time when public kissing was seen as very improper, Mm -hmm. and so the film itself and its... uh, Um, I guess the the showing of it was really transgression. So we know him to be the man who invented the cat video as well. We've talked about that on on this show. (laughs) But he also made some other films that were quite salacious. Do do any of you know of one particular film that he made that involved... Because there was that famous uh, one... That, that with the train coming mm-hmm. towards the screen and everyone panicked. Ran out of there was actually a similar one with something else coming towards the screen and everyone panicked. <laughs> that, that, that's as part of the, the great lost Edison. Yeah. <laughs> Only the Freudians panicked. Yeah. yeah. Well, he also filmed what might be thought of as the first on-screen strip act, showcasing the skills of a legendary aerialist called Charmion who um, was performing her trapeze striptease. That was in 1901. And you can look at all of this on YouTube if you so Oh, desire. did he do the first snuff film? Actually, I guess he did. Yeah, with the, the elephant. Yeah, when he electrocuted an elephant. <laughs> the first snuff yeah. snuffleupagus. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Is that roller coaster? Yeah. So, th- so this next question, um, I, I think I'm taking it over to, to Love Factually now. If my heart is going to go on and on, why might it stop in China? <laughs> this an obscure Celine Dion tour reference? I thought she was stationed in LA. (laughs) Not in LA. uh, The place with all the gambling. Is she not allowed to perform in China because of her famously (laughs) anti-communist lyrics? (laughs) Well, well, we are talking about the song, so you might like to think about where the song comes from. If we're thinking about love... And the association with the Titanic? Yes, you get a point for that. Right. Is Titanic... Still banned in China? No, quite the opposite, in fact. In December last year, work began on a full-size replica of the Titanic, which is going to be the top attraction at a Chinese theme park that sits 745 miles away from the ocean. Um, and oh, my God. For reasons that, that I don't understand, uh, Titanic seems to have been of particular fascination in China, particularly the film. And, and the replica is even bigger than the one James Cameron made because he, he only made a 90% um, scale oh, nice. replica. Are, the they, are they going to... S- Simulate the the iceberg crash. Possibly, you might be able Rick to watch and the film. There's there's going yeah, there's going to be um, nice rooms and uh, restaurants and ballrooms and Wi-Fi apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so so no, yeah, yeah. So so you can live tweet everyone's impending doom. <laughs> uh, slash and shipability. Question for you: Why might a skate park be the best place to get yourself some brotherly love? That, that's the face that you make when you're trying not to be filthy. Yeah. 
I just I can't stop being filthy. Love factually. No, no, I mean like all I've got range from my mind are the lyrics to Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne for some reason. <laughs> but I don't think that's oh, But really now you've related. shared it with us all. It's like a virus. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Somebody else say something. I mean, my my mind skips to copious amounts of marijuana when mm. I think of skate parks, which yeah. which encourages the kind of brotherly love that we see in Bob Marley's songs, aka mm. the universal kind. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you're kind of along the right track because what I'm what I'm gesturing towards here is the origin of the word bromance. bromance. Does anyone know where the term bromance came from? Does it come from skaters? It kind of does. So it was <laughs> a, a point to Karen Healy, Tony Hawk, and his club's cousin. It was it was a term that was coined by Dave Carney, who was the editor of a skateboard magazine called Big Brother um, in the 1990s, to specifically refer to the sort of relationships that develop between skaters who spend a great deal of time together. Oh, really I know. I thought yeah, that was I lovely. I thought too. it was Rose McManus and John Campbell. Honestly, totally yeah, I thought it was Turk and JD was the original <laughs> romance, but. Not according to Wikipedia. So. Wikipedia is the authority on this. So our last question for this round, and it's it's got a little side quest associated with it, is um and, and any of the teams can kind of ding into this. What do you get when you combine dog stones, dragon's blood, and dried liver? Karen. An exciting new quiche recipe. Oh, that'd be terrific. <laughs> you can have a point for that. Water. Some kind of love potion. That's absolutely correct. In fact, so you can get... So, so the answer that I have down for it is is the man or woman of your dreams, apparently, because they these um, things, dog stones, dragon's blood, dried liver, are all reputed to be types of aphrodisiacs. Uh, do you know what dog stones are? Get a point. Uh, are they the shriveled testicles of dogs? <laughs> I wish they were. They, 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 they probably are, but, but they're, they're a plant. They're a species of plant that's related to a type of orchid, a satyrian. How about dragon's blood? Is it the blood of a dragon? <laughs> no, it's not the blood of a dragon. I know that there's a, um, a really expensive moisturiser you can get at Ballantine's that's called dra- it's got dragon's blood. blood it. Is it a kind of herb? Yeah, it's, it's another flower. So it's a plant, again, that was used as a love charm. What's dried liver? <laughs> is it dried liver? It is. <laughs> yes, I knew it. <laughs> so, dried liver was used by the Romans as an ingredient in love potions. And to, to cite Roman po- poet Horace, who's a friend of yours, as a classicist, perhaps. Yeah. Um, Way back. <laughs> um, and of course, this has been redone in English. That his parched marrow might compose, together with his liver dried, an amorous dose. Mm-hmm. So, so if you need to get it up, have some dried liver. So. I I work at a university and I um, stumbled across a dictionary of aphrodisiacs in the university library, written by Electra and Classics from 1961. And it begins by suggesting that throughout all the ages and all the cultural levels, in court and hovel, among beggars and princelings, one of the dominant forces that have driven men to exultant achievements, triumphant productivity and personal contentment is the amatory concept, which I quite liked. I thought the amatory concept would be a good name for our like offshoot prog rock band. Um, so, so as a wee side quest, I'd like you to ding in to tell me roughly, and this is kind of in very general terms, what sort of aphrodisiac effects have been attributed to some of the following things. Lampreys, those scary looking eel things. Oh, those are a Romany one too. Um, what are they meant to do? Are they meant to make you stiff? Close. In terms of aphrodisiac effects, yeah. isn't that pretty much it? 
No, but there's these, these, these different variations, though. So, for instance, lampreys, which I have in parentheses, scary-looking eels, um, they are said to increase seminal fluid. Oh, um, and so, too, with rays. <laughs> so, too, with stingrays, which might take us back to... Is, it, is, the, is the thinking, like, they look a bit like sperm? I, I guess so, yeah. Or, or they, they scare the spooge out of you, perhaps, because they're just... <laughs> If you've, se- if you've seen pictures of them, they are utterly terrifying. Um, in, in general terms, what might mint do? Freshens the breath. Um, goes in a mojito. Oh, that's that's a good one. And that always makes me you, feel very romantic. It's, it's not on my piece of paper, but you get points for a I, mojito. I guess if you're indulging in some kind of oral activity, it's a real uh, killer of the full circle effect. <laughs> <laughs> Making you feel minty fresh. <laughs> is, it, is it like it's tingling properties? Well, well, that, that that might be the case. It says it strengthens male vigor. So, <laughs> what does chutney do? <laughs> Softens male vigor. <laughs> Chutney is meant to stimulate the libido. Oh. Um, what does paprika do? Or what does paprika have? Spice. It does have spice. It has decided erotic impulses. <laughs> um, what this about... is not for topical application, is it? Yeah. No, what, what about salvia? Oh, that's the one that's almost marijuana, but not actually. Mm. So it, it gets you kind of loose and relaxed. I yeah, guess. yeah, it kind of does. And it also said, also used for garnishing. So. <laughs> um, and, and what about onions? What might onions do? I guess if you've got something going on where you're a little bit attracted to emotionally vulnerable people, that's a Aww. that's a thing. Um, so is that part of the hurt comfort cycle? You make them cry and then yeah, and then you give them. them the joy. Yeah. Okay. If you've got halitosis, you can eat onion. And they just pretend. Oh, well, I've just got terrible onion breath. <laughs> that works too. Or yeah, I think uh, that... if you're romancing yourself, it yeah. kind of ensures that that's the only option. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, it increases male virility along with um, shallots and scallions and can help with erections in particular. And again, here's a Roman epigram that's been um, anglicised. If envious age relax the nuptial knot, thy food be scallions and thy feast shallots. (laughs) So it's also meant to purify women's blood, so I'm not quite sure why it's meant to give men erections but purify women's blood at the same time. Um, My favourite one as I was going through this book was the uh, the traditional prescription for provoking erotic impulses which is the toe of a man anointed with oil or honey or the ashes of a weasel. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's like the severed toe of a man that you can ingest or if that's just... Yeah, the inserted so, toe of a man. the ashes of a weasel like a, a burnt weasel? It, it, like didn't, it didn't elaborate. Down. It might well be. Might but, just but be medically, either that or a the ashes of a weasel are as good as a man's toe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that sounds good. Um, medicines or treatments that cause um, anti-aphrodisiac effects in this book um, are called refrigerants or cooling potions. <laughs> um, what, what might be in a refrigerant or a cooling potion? Oh, a, a, lot of mojitos. a lot of mojitos. A lot of mojitos, yeah. Chamomile? Oh, that would be nice. Sends you to sleep. Yeah. Also gives you scary dreams if you burn the leaves. There's a hot tip. Oh, that's good. And, and, and if you kind of are canoodling, you might get scary sex dreams. Yeah, yeah true. That's good. Um, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on your attitude towards yeah. scary sex dreams. <laughs> uh, essence of Winston Peters. Yeah, that's fair enough. 
Yes, yeah, so so some of the things that this book recommend, or recommended, reported on, uh, was water, this actually sounds like a morning smoothie, water distilled from lettuce, cucumbers, endive, purslane, and water lilies. The sort of thing that might get, you know, you might be charged $9.50 mm. for in a tiny cup at a Look, it's worth, it's worth losing your libido if you get to have that instead of lampreys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, or my favourite one was a turtle's heart wrapped in a wolf's skin. Oh, yeah. Or just eat for fun? I don't know. Or, I, don't, I think you just carry it around. Oh. Yeah, and that's a turn off. Um, or, <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> for some reason. Hey, baby, I've just got, a, just got this turtle's heart wrapped yeah. in a wolfskin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or or my, my final uh, refrigerant written down was just switching on the news, which I think oh, we just no. keep the tally off at the moment. So that brings us to the end of that round. I'd like to go to Jeff, the new romancer, for the scores. Oh, yes. Well, uh, I'm very happy to say that Love Factually, with their Snuffle Punagus, have got uh, nine points, but uh, with their shameless pandering, Slash and Shipability have 12 points. And remember, single guys or single girls, if you're looking for love, why not serve the one you're after some fried onions with chutney, paprika and mint, a little salvia garnish on the side, and a sprinkling of weasel ash. I love that so much. <laughs> anyway, um, so this next round is, is a pitch round, and it's called Nicholas Sparks Fly. So um, we know who Nicholas Sparks is, yeah? He's an author, a screenwriter, he's a producer, and he's really well known for sappy novels, many of which have been um, adapted for film like The Notebook. These novels have a very particular flavour, and if you go on and, and have a look at them, the movie trailers associated them with them, you'll get that. Um, this flavour has been popularly termed manipulative romance tragedy porn. <laughs> <laughs> so these are stories, just, just to lay it out for you, to give us a bit of context. Um, they are boy meets girl stories. They tend to take place in this really soft focus, bucolic version of North Carolina. We have lovers. They tend to be separated by class, but they fall in love and everything goes horribly wrong. There's some kind of bittersweet, downer, ironic end uh, built heavily and perhaps manipulatively on dramatic irony and self-sacrifice. So these sorts of films and books include uh, love montages, uh, star-crossed lovers caught in the rain, sympathetic adulterers, anguished declarations of love, traumatic separations, and some or even most of the characters have or eventually succumb to some sort of ailment, such as a grievous wartime injury, dementia, accidental gunshot wounds, accidents that lead to comas, leukaemia, and death. <laughs> so, <laughs> now that we're through that, what I would like to, is for each of the teams to pitch a new film in the style of Nicholas Sparks. Um, so what I'd like you to do is to come up with the most heartbreaking, tear-jerking, manipulative, tragically romantic story that you can. And I'm going to give you a wee prompt about the, the nature of the relationship between... Um, the protagonist. So I'm going to hand it over to Love Factually first, and I would like you to, to give us a Nicholas Sparks style film in which one of the lovers is a dairy farmer and the other is lactose intolerant. <laughs> wow. Pitch it to me. Okay. Um, okay, let me just. Uh, so um, it's the, called. The title of this film is. is... The Milkman. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, so our, our, our story begins um, in uh, a dairy in Invercargill. Yes, <laughs> which is the South Carolina of New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, our, our heroine, uh, 
Jemima. <laughs> yes, Jemima is there looking dubiously at the cartons of milk. And she's like, oh no, I can't drink any of these. I'm lactose intolerant. Don't you have any almond milk? Or soy? Or yeah. coconut water milk? Yeah. <laughs> and the, the dairy's like, look, don't take it up with me. Take it up with him. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Then, frozen in the door... Just as the like the beep sound, so it just goes off constantly. Is <laughs> is Colin, the dairy farmer? He's dressed head to toe in a bright white suit, like a hazmat style suit, <laughs> not a literal suit. And he's covered in muck and shit, fresh from the farm. Yes, and he's carrying a fresh carton of milk because he milks the cows directly into a carton. <laughs> <laughs> He's also carrying a small fawn that he just helped birth. <laughs> That's right. And uh, he says, uh, I couldn't help but overhear your problem. Look, uh, I know you can't drink this milk, but hop on this fawn, I'll give you a ride. <laughs> and so they, they ride off into the sunset on this newly born fawn. And um, as she wraps her arms around his, his waist and they... They gallop through <laughs> past the sites of Invercargill. Um, she Fight. says, I can't help but instantly fall in love with you. Mm. And then he says, there's something I have to tell you. And that is... <laughs> <laughs> that I have a harrowing, harrowing bone marrow disease. Yes, I didn't get enough calcium as a child. <laughs> <laughs> and with that... He turns around and tries to hug her, but both his arms snap. (laughs) Unable to guide the reins, she has to take them over as the fawn charges onwards, but being so young, it's buck wild and untethered, and the the ride becomes a dangerous one. Yes, he says, this fawn has to keep above 50 miles an hour, or this thing's going to explode. (laughs) And and so as they gallop uh, back to to the... the, they, They gallop up a hill and they're heading straight for a cliff and uh, (laughs) it looks like they're both going to plummet to their doom. And then Jemima has the incredible thought of spilling the carton of fresh milk all over the tracks in front of them and the fawn befuddled and beleaguered uh, slips and falls and although it explodes given that it's rapidly decelerating they're thrown from it with such might that it's really just a delightful firework display of organs yeah and as Jemima and Colin look deep into each other's eyes they say uh, Colin says it looks like we can finally be together and then Jemima says have leukemia and dies (laughs) (laughs) and Colin names all of his calves Jemima. Jemima. I the milkman. The yeah. milkman, everyone. That's that's terrific. It's like a full, full plot. That was great. <laughs> Beginning, middle, and an end. Amazing. So, slash and shipability. Um, your protagonists are held apart by the fact that one uses a Mac and the other uses a PC. Oh, mm. all right. Real. So uh, this this begins in an ordinary coffee shop where hipsters migrate, and there's uh, there's a girl there, and her name is Serena. Amelia. Amelia Serena, and Amelia Serena is tapping away at what she's sure is going to be the great 
North Omaru novel. <laughs> it's the North Carolina of uh, <laughs> New Zealand. She's tapping away. She's tapping away. It's brilliant. And then the low battery of her Mac gives out on her altogether. And she looks around her. She was on a roll. Um, but what can she do? The moment is gone. Unless... <laughs> <laughs> Matt, who looks unfeasibly like Channing Tatum. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or Ryan Gosling or Zac Efron. Zac Efron. <laughs> they all look like Zac Efron. They all look like um, bland white dude. Anyway, Channing Tatum, <laughs> who was in somewhere in a town in North Otago, uh, in a cyber cafe? Yes, in the yes. cyber cafe, yeah. Um, walks in. Unfortunately, he's got a shirt on, which just seems really wrong. Yeah. Um, so he immediately. But we can deal off. with that later. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. Hang in there, ladies. Yeah. Um, and some guys. And under his arm is a laptop. And she looks at him, and she looks at the fact that he hasn't sat down yet, and he doesn't have a pricey coffee in front of him. She's like, "Excuse me, sir. I've been writing the Great New Zealand novel, um, and I, I just I really need to finish it. Fortunately, everything is backed up on the cloud on Google Docs, so that she can access it immediately." Um, and he says, "Sure, you can use mine," and holds it out to her, but. <gasps> It's a PC. It's not even a nice PC. It's like Mm-mm. a five-year-old Acer. <laughs> <laughs> it's got one squ- sticky button because uh, juice got spilled on it. It never got cleaned out properly. Yeah. And Amelia, she's got her iPhone. She's got Apple TV at home. She's fully integrated into the Mac lifestyle. Mm. She just doesn't understand what she's looking at. How can a guy so hot have such shit-tasting technology? Oh, wow. This it's, is... it's a tragedy, but yeah. he's doing her a kind deed. So gingerly, with two chopsticks she's borrowed from somebody, she levers up the lid <laughs> and taps the last few words of the great New Zealand novel. Um, and meanwhile, Matt reads it over her shoulder and he gasps. And he says, I'm a publisher. and that is the best thing I've ever read Uh, so uh, we we, we jump jump, flash forward um, to their publishers meeting and uh, no no to 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 the book party Oh, you got to have yeah, a book party at the Omri Public Library, and she's uh, she's being launched, and it's fantastic, and all of the dignitaries of Omri are there, uh, including the mayor and Marius. This might be based on a true story, and there's there's this uh, incredible moment where Matt drops to his knees in front of her, and he says, "Amelia Serena, you are the light of my life, the punctuation in my paragraphs. You are the last word for me." Aww. Will you be my bride? And she says... <laughs> There's something I have to tell you, Matt. I have leukaemia. And then she dies. <laughs> so does your piece of metafiction about the great New Zealand novel have a title? Return of the Mac. Return of the Mac. <laughs> Very good. Return of the Mac. Um, I'm, I'm not going to allocate points to that. I'm going to let Jeff the Neuromancer um, muse it over and he can decide the allocation, Ooh. given that, that he's such a love expert. And in the interim, I'd like to... Um, you've prepared some poems, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so let's, let's hear a few of them. Um, 
Rosie and Karen, I'd like to hear each of your palms. And I'm going to allocate points to the one that um, I prefer, oh. the one that I love the most. So, so did you, you asked for palms about uh, like a first yeah. love? Yeah, so, so a poem or an ode or something about your first pop culture love, perhaps. Mm. So for me, it might be um, my obsession as a child with uh, the Care Bears, for instance, oh. and about my unabiding love for that. And that's what I've asked you to prepare. I too. bet you were a grumpy girl. <laughs> My brother had the grumpy one. I think I, mm. I just I had um, the purple bright heart ca- uh, raccoon that my mum like badgered someone at a toy store in LAX to um, open open up so that she could buy it for me when we were leaving the states for something when I was six because they weren't available here and I think I was having a tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> um, so bright heart raccoon. Uh, so so how about you? Would you like to start? Ruby? Yes, for sure. Uh, you, you'll probably be able to guess who mine's about uh, part way through. <laughs> I remember the first compliment I received that made my ribs glow and smile spread edge to edge of my five-year-old face. My sister told me as I lip-synced to your smash hit that your voice fit perfectly in my mouth. Those catchy hooks, startling eyes and pigtails, perfect equal size, subtle muscularity and poignant lyrical clarity all combine to create a great woman of our time. When so-called mates now impersonate your nasal tone, a spurt of hot resentments thrown up from the space above my heart, your throne, a historical loyalty that won't let me alone. They loved you once, but shrouded in false ideas of adulthood, Miss Spears, they abandoned ship before the skies cleared. With each strand of hair that on the salon floor dwelled, with every time you tried to fly and fell, with each glance to the future you cast to see nothing going well, I grew into a woman more like you than I'd have guessed. I too am a performer, equally blessed with brain chemistry off kilter, plagued by depression and self-doubt. The fact your voice matches my mouth was something my sister was right about. Thank you, dear Brittany, for the dances round rooms, for the moments of confidence those low notes groomed, for the routines devised by my friends and I, for the knowing of heartache and sympathetic sighs. Thank you from a girl just as broken and young, graduate of childhood, not yet a woman. Is it called, just leave Brittany alone? <laughs> <laughs> now it is. Take a seat, Hera Lindsay Bird. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, what up? Gotta love Hera, though. Oh, uh, yeah. Right, up. over to you, Karen. <laughs> All right, so um, I've written a Petrarchan sonnet because Ooh. that's appropriate for love poetry. I guess you can guess that I'm the girl who'd discard friendship for books, a price well paid, fantasy fighters, an endless parade. What did I care that my reading was rude when my spirit threw orcs and cave trolls huge and hunted evil through Moria's shade? But there were no women. My heart was dismayed by reading The Fellowship of the Dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Then came the light in a red sky dawning. Then came the blade in the Nazgul's black hand. Then came the battle that no man could win. I thrilled as I read, breathless that morning, the steel-eyed warrior making her stand, and found my first love in brave Eowyn. Yes. <laughs> what the fuck, guys? <laughs> I know, I right? we were doing actual good poems. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to award both, both uh, poets... 10 points each because there's no point in trying to pick one over the other because they're both amazing. So a big round of applause. 
to Jeff the Neuromancer. How are the scores? Well, the, the scores are going very, very well. I mean, some people are ahead while others are coming up from behind, but so long as it's consensual, everything's fine. <laughs> Love Factually have done pretty well with their uh, book about the Milkman, so they got quite a few points in that round. But uh, Slash and Shipability unfortunately lost a few points from me for not choosing the obvious title for their book, Compatible for Matt. <laughs> As a result, Slash and Shipability are currently on 26 points and Love Factually on 27. That's pretty That's close. Tight. That's tight. Pretty close. Now, this is just a quick fire. This, this is a quickie, in fact. This is a quickie round. Um, it's a quote round. The round is called Love Hate Relationships. So I've got quotes that either relate to love or breaking up from film, television, literature, and so on. Just ding in. See, he's her lobster. Friends, Phoebe says about Ross and Rachel. Absolutely. Next quote. No, I don't think I will kiss you, although you need kissing badly. <laughs> it's Kai Cable and Gone with the Wind. Yep, Rick Butler. Very good. Um, I'd rather be his whore than your wife. Oh, I know this. We've talked about it already too much. Uh, rats that have been <laughs> turned, into, turned into stingrays. Points to bring them minutes. Um, it's from Titanic. It's Rose. Uh, I wish I knew how to quit you. Broke back mountain. Very good. I've got a job to do too. Where I'm going, you can't follow. What I've got to do, you can't. Yes, Karen. Um, 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 the Fellowship of the Ring. No. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, Back to the future. <laughs> Ar- Armageddon? No, for Christ, it's Rick from Casablanca. Ah. <laughs> okay, in vain I have struggled, it will not do my feelings. <laughs> just everyone, just say it. Pride and prejudice. Mr. Dawson! It is. Everyone can have a point for that. She's gone, she gave me a pen, I gave her my heart, she gave me a pen. Oh. Uh. No, is it from um, Say Anything? It absolutely is. It's <laughs> Lloyd John Dobler. Cusack. Yep, Lloyd oh. Dobler and Say Anything. If you live to be 100, I want to be 100 minus one day so I never have to live without you. Oh. <laughs> yes, Brendan? Um, cheesy the movie. <laughs> oh, does anyone in the audience know where it's from? Isn't the number? No, it's oh. Winnie the Pooh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was the it was the notebook. It was the yes. it was A. A. Mills. The notebook. Is, is that from Winnie to Christopher Robin? I think it's I think it's a Piglety one. Isn't it? Oh, I actually forgot to write it down because because I'm a shitty host. Um, you're a fake and a phony, and I wish that I'd never laid eyes on you. It's not from The Catcher in the Rye, but I just want to make it <laughs> no. It's really not. From the, it's from a musical. From Greece, it is Sandy shouting at um, what's his handle. Um, oh, you, you. Now, 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 points are allocated for this one for the person who can repeat the entire quote. Mowage. Mowage <laughs> is what brings us together <laughs> today. Keep going. Uh, that dream within a dream. Yeah, nearly. Uh, yeah. Mowage, that blessed arrangement. That dream within, within a dream. dream. And love, true love. We'll follow oh, you forever. forever. So, so challenge your love. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone can have a picture. 
Oh, Rosie it, can't have points. <laughs> Rosie can't have points. I still have no idea what that is from. It's from The Princess Bride. Okay. Um, and final, a really nerdy one. She is yours. After a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true. Uh, well, I, yep. I feel like it's Austin. Is that... That's not true. Steve I can tell Austin, from your face. The, the, the word here is logical. Is it Star Trek? Yeah, it is. It's Spock. Yeah. Um, before we have the scores is the next lot of poems. So, Brendan and um, Moata. Moata, did you write a good poem? Um, <laughs> oh, like I'll just read it. Read it to us and let us know. Yeah, so, as Erin said, this was supposed to be about our first sort of pop culture crush and... Um, you know, there's that thing where you should never meet your heroes. You should also never Google um, actors from the 80s. Um, <laughs> so this, this poem's in two parts. The first part is from my perspective around sort of like 1987, 88. And then the second part is more recent times. And there's a very subtle tonal shift between the two, <laughs> which you, some of you may pick up on. But if you don't, you know, it's poetry. Poetry is quite hard. So not everybody gets it. So don't worry. <laughs> Okay. So my poem is called um, All Grown Up Pain Oh Kirk Cameron (laughs) You put the glamour in my life Your hair so curly One day I'll surely be your wife You're Michael Seaver I want to cleave you to my chest My heart beats fast This crush will last Because you're the best Fuck you Wikipedia (laughs) No way speedier could kill my lady boner. Oh, you want donors? You're pushing shit uphill. You inform me that Kirk is a homophobic jerk who thinks that evolution's just a theory. If I come off a little sweary, it's because you've driven me to drink. (laughs) Oh, very good. Brendan. Okay, mine is a true poem about my actual first pop culture crush. And so it is, of course, an ode to the Empress from the never-ending story. (laughs) Um, So this is called uh, To the Childlike Empress from the Never-Ending Story, who, it should be noted, is actually a magical ageless being. (laughs) It's still creepy, Brendan. To the childlike empress, you golden-eyed temptress. Our love story is endless, never-ending, depending on my big, strong hands. One grain of sand is all it takes for my imaginary power. I'll draw you from your ivory tower. Don't waste your time in Fantasia with a trehu. Brave warriors will only daze you and betray you. Never think that I am bluffing. Without you, I am empty, nothing. Open a window, shout into the hurricane. I'll be there when you call my name. Moonchild. <laughs> um, in this instance, I'm going to give uh, the points to Moata because I loved the rhyme of Cameron with Glamorin. <laughs> so, very good. So, so over, <laughs> over to Jeff the Neuromancer. Where are we at? Well, I'm uh, adding up the points now, and with the uh, additional points going to Slash and Shipability, they've surged ahead once again. And now, Love Factually sit on 30 and a half, just past 30, still single and alone. Better get things sorted. (laughs) And Slash and Shipability are on 40 points. 
Very good. So this is the final round. It is a debate round. It is called You Down With OTP, Yeah, You Know Me. <laughs> so in this debate round, um, each team is going to make a case for which pairing they believe to be the greatest love story of all time. The audience, you are going to vote on who's made the best case at the end of it. You're going to have um, uh, one minute to make your argument, each uh, a 30-second rebuttal, and then maybe 15 seconds for a final pithy statement at the end. Uh, I would like uh, Love Factually to go first. Okay, well, first of all, and in our defence, uh, Rosie yeah. I wrote thought the, the OTP was on the piss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I'm 22 and that's what OTP means to my people. <laughs> um, so after... Yeah, I was trying to think of romantic pairings that were really good while really drunk. Uh, but yeah, we've since clarified and that's such a prepared So, so is this the beginning of your de- is this a preamble or are you debating? No, this is a preamble. This is okay. just some banter sure. for okay. free. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is going to cost you. Yeah. Uh, so we think that the, the ultimate one true pairing is, of course, Matilda Wormwood from the story Matilda. And Charlie Bucket. From Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I know, right? (laughs) Like, all signs point to the fact that they were meant to be together. Mm. For example, the the fact that Matilda sneaks into the Trunchbull's house to get Miss Honey the fine, fine chocolates she was never allowed as a child. Who can provide all of the fine chocolates? Charlie can. Yeah, he can. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, Charlie's a sensitive soul, and when he's looking for love... You know, he doesn't just judge on appearance. No, he's looking for someone who can move him with their mind. (laughs) (laughs) Also, they they combined will be Buckwood, which is a strong name. Or Charltilda. <laughs> Buckwood or Charltilda. They're simply magic together. Aww. Simply magic. Over to Slash and Shipability. You have one minute starting now. Well, we, we discussed this in great detail and then we came to the only possible conclusion, which is that the greatest pairing of all time is Moata and Karen. <laughs> <laughs> A writer and a librarian are clearly a match made in matchmaker heaven. Um, We tweet at the same times. We smile at the same 80 stars, although we feel guilty about it. (laughs) We even dress similarly. Uh, We're both wearing black and white today, and we're both wearing white shoes. Audience in the studio can see this. My undies actually match Karen's dress, Mm. which... Like, that's how in sync we are. Mm. And my undies match her bra. (laughs) (laughs) Ten seconds. (laughs) Our our sort of final uh, emphasis is, of course, that unlike the undoubtedly charming Matilda and Charlie, we aren't fictional. We are real people embodied in a real world, and our love is more ephemeral and thus more powerful. More ephemeral and more powerful. Back over to Love Factually. You have 30 seconds to rebut. fundamental flaw in that argument. The idea that being real makes you a more perfect one true pairing. No, only in fiction, in the platonic ideal (laughs) of love, can we see a a pairing in its truest form. Because have you tried dating? It's brutal. (laughs) That shit has to be imaginary. I'd like to bring it. Your, your argument for you being a one true pairing is that you wear similar clothes and that you laugh at the same tweets. 
That's the foundation of every friendship I've ever had, and yet has not been enough for an OTP, although we do drink heavily. (laughs) Sick sick burn from Love Factually. Back over to Slash and Shippability. 30 second rebuttal. I kind of feel like that was working more in our favour. Yeah. You know, the the basis of a true friendship, your characters aren't even in the same book. We are in the same room, sitting next to each other on identical chairs. The compatibility is huge. However, if you're going to bring Neoplatonic philosophy into this conversation, I'm going to respond with Aristotle, who is of the opinion that fact and the mimetic truth is far more important than some weirdo, shadow-on-a-wall, fictional ideal. Also, Buckwood is a terrible name. Yeah. <laughs> Slapping it down. Slash and shipability. That's bring in the group. And, and you haven't even provided one. We don't have to. We don't um, have to. We're real people. Oh, excuses, excuses. <laughs> also, I've got oh, five excuse letters me, in my order. name and she's got order. five letters in her name. Sorry, nerds. Shut up. Cool. <laughs> Be quiet. Except for you, who now have 15 seconds to wrap up. You've made the case that yours is more important, based on Aristotle. This is not the one important pairing. This is the one true pairing. <laughs> and you've proved that you are... Acquaintances who get on well and happen yeah. to be wearing similar clothes. <laughs> however, however a true love built on a foundation of friendship soars above and builds the entire castle. It doesn't stay at ground level. And you guys, you're very ground level. Ooh, that's harsh. Oh, 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 oh. oh yes, I did. Getting nasty and dirty in this about the truth, 15 seconds. Yeah. I would just like to point out that another word for truth is non-fiction. Librarian, yo. <laughs> Very good. So, so, so we have magical castles of love and librarian yo. I'm putting it over to you, the audience. Um, do you think that uh, slash and ship abilities, um, real life OTP outweighs love factualies? Um, Buckwood was it? Uh, I think you mean the magical romance. The magical romance of Buckwood. Okay, because apparently sure. Buckwood is pure shit. <laughs> You guys are feisty tonight. Okay, so all the, all those who would like to get behind slash and shipability, clap now. Oh, and bear in mind, this is now a direct judgment on YouTube. <laughs> all, those, all those who um, are behind the magical romance put forward by Love Factually, clap now. in the same universe but with the same author B <laughs> golden tickets for love so now while um, Jeff the new romancer figures out what the score is um, I would like to thank you all for coming along tonight I'd like you to check us out at nerddegree.com you can also find us on iTunes you can find us on Twitter at nerddegree you can find us on Facebook slash nerddegree and if you'd like to come along if those of you who are out there in radio land would like to come along you can come to Orange Studio in Christchurch the first Wednesday of the month to hear one of our wonderful recordings over to you Jeff the new romancer yes I've just got one parting piece of love advice remember if you can't be with the one you love don't get with anyone else that's cheating (laughs) (laughs) slash and shipability or as I'm now calling them hashtag karata have 40 points but love factually with their wonderful hashtag darling get 40 and a half points and are tonight's winners
Chris, congratulations. A golden ticket and an exploding form to love factually. Thank you very much to our audience tonight and good night. Yeah.